I'm Steve Sarmento, and this is Three of a Kind, a segment where I look at three films with a common thread. This week, we listen to the heart, the hands, and the head, and the role they play in creativity. Joe Gideon is a lover. He loves working, he loves dance, and he loves women. The one thing Joe knows is how to put his heart into it, no matter what it is. It's difficult to even begin talking about a film like All That Jazz. This film is a master class in editing. To set aside the narrative structure, the editing, pacing, and musicality of the film is to set aside much of what makes it a classic film. However, beneath all of that, at its core, it is the story of an artist, a man who is very much defined by, and defines himself by his art. This is not the story of the struggling or suffering misunderstood artist. This is the story of Joe Gideon, a semi-autobiographical story from Bob Fosse set during the peak frenzy of Gideon's career. He is struggling to finish editing a film while at the same time preparing a new Broadway musical. He has just cast the show, is working on the choreography during the days, and at night is in the editing room attempting to finish the film he has been putting together for months. All of this is compressed into the first half of the film, leading up to Joe's hospitalization due to his heart condition. Throughout the first part of the film, the story is intercut with scenes of Joe reflecting back on his life with a mysterious woman dressed in white. In these scenes, he reflects on the moments in his life that, for better or worse, have come to define him. You believe in love? I believe in saying I love you. Helps you concentrate. Joe, they've asked me to go on tour with the show. How long? Six months. What do you think? And you say it all the time. (laughs) I say it a lot. A lot. When? When it works. You know, I love you, Katie, but I think you have to do what's best for you. Just what do you mean, Joe? Sometimes it doesn't work. I mean, for your sake, I think you should go. The second half of the film begins to blur the lines between Joe's imagination, hallucinations, dreams, and fragments of the events playing out in the world around him. Through these visions, we are able to see Joe's attempts to come to terms with the consequences of his life filtered through the structure of a Broadway musical that he is directing in his imagination. The story is guided by Joe's heart, and through this journey we see the passionate commitment that has resulted in a celebrated career, but also a life that has taken a backseat to his ambitious drive. The final 10-minute musical sequence for Bye Bye Life perfectly ends the film as well as Joe's life. There are a few other films that so artfully capture the passionate drive of the creative process as well as the demands it makes upon the artist. A new, young artist must put in hours of work to develop and refine their skills. In the 2014 film Whiplash, Andrew Neiman is a student at Schaefer Conservatory, and he is committed to being the best jazz drummer he can be. Throughout the film, Andrew is shown practicing until his hands are raw and bloody, all to receive the recognition and praise of Terence Fletcher, the brutally harsh jazz instructor. 
In one scene, Fletcher has three drummers battle for a position for several hours until one of them can show him the ability to match the tempo he wants. This is just one of several events where Fletcher pushes his students to the limits of their physical abilities. Later, we learn that one of Fletcher's former students has committed suicide, possibly as a result of post-traumatic stress from his time as Fletcher's student. You might ask yourself, why would a student let themselves be subjected to such abuse? What is to be gained from this? I'll let Fletcher explain. I tell you, man, and every Starbucks jazz album just proves my point, really. There are no two words in the English language more harmful than good job. But is there a line? You know, maybe you go too far and you discourage the next Charlie Parker from ever becoming Charlie Parker? No, man, no. Because the next Charlie Parker would never be discouraged. Yeah. The truth is, Andrew, I... never really had a Charlie Parker. But I tried. I actually tried, and that's more than most people ever do. And I will never apologize for how I tried. I thought I understood the ending of this film the first time I saw it, but after discussing the film and watching it a second time, I'm now torn between two interpretations. Is Andrew's final act of rebellion an attempt to sabotage Fletcher? Is he using his talent in an attempt to destroy his mentor? Or has everything we have seen Andrew put himself through evidence that he will become a legendary drummer? Is this final act the ultimate fulfillment of Fletcher's quest to find his own Charlie Parker? That may depend on whether you believe Fletcher's quest to draw greatness from his students is a realistic challenge or just something he uses to rationalize his cruelty. Both Joe and Andrew have very clear visions of their artistic destinies. But what if you don't have a clear vision? How do you get the idea out of your head and into the world? What happens when you think you've got a great idea, but it hasn't made it out into the world to find an audience yet? John is trying to find inspiration for a song. A band's playing, a band's playing tomorrow night in my town. They're called the the Surin. Ladies have babies. That's how it works. Lady in the red coat, what you doing with that bag? Lady in the blue coat, do you know the lady in the red coat? Through a string of coincidences, John finds himself filling in for a band that has just lost its keyboard player, and then he is asked to join the band as they begin recording their album. It would seem that John has had his dream of being a working musician fulfilled. However, once he finds himself isolated with the band in a remote cabin to record the album, the sanity of every member of the band is suspect. The band is named the Sunnerfurbs and is led by Frank, who always wears a large papier-mâché head. He is the creative core of the band and is devoted to creating unconventional music. When the band arrives at the South by Southwest Festival, Frank decides to compose his most likable song. So thank you, John. You gave me the little push I needed. Okay, enough chatter. 
Here it is. My most likable song ever. Coca-Cola, lipstick ring, go dance all night, dance all night. I've got dancing legs. Woo! I've got dancing legs. They won't stop me dancing, no. They won't stop me dancing. Kiss me, just kiss me. Kiss me, Nefertiti. Just the way you like it. Just the way you like it. Kiss me, kiss me. Lipstick, kiss me, lipstick ring, go This is your most likable song ever? Yeah! People will love it. Throughout this film, the sanity of each of the band members appears questionable, but John goes along with this misfit band because he feels that perhaps that is what it takes to be a successful artist. It's something that's all in your head. Whether it is drawing your inspiration from your heart, putting your hands to work to create something, or drawing the ideas out of your head, These three films showcase the challenges of the creative process and the tolls that it can take on the artist. For the next reel, I'm Steve Sarmento. Next time, coming of age. It's something that's challenging even for some adults. 